to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining us is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. So am I. Fair enough. Also joining us, director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Right on. With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I love when uh, Glenn gives a, a, a response that makes Matt pause for a second. Matt's so fast that if Glenn yeah. can actually... Make Matt if you can actually juke him out. That's pretty. That's pretty impressive. That, that's my whole game. Well, it was a very odd kind of double, uh, double bluff in that I introduced Glenn by his name and job title, and he yelled, "So am I." And I was <laughs> like, "Is this yep. really deep or just nonsense?" Yep. And I don't know that I have the wherewithal to tell anymore. You can't. You can't figure it out. That's the beauty of it. A man who knows a good zag when it is needed. We have some excellent questions for you, but before we do that, even in this time of peace and joy right before the Christmas holiday, we must declare an emergency. An oh, emergency? No. So is like a is there a virus or something? I don't think so. Oh. Okay. I don't read the news, yeah, cool. but um so the thing about uh, this is we we have been talking recently, we've been turning our minds to space. Mm. The final yeah. frontier, as they put it in Star Wars, yeah. I say only to intentionally make nerds angry. <laughs> Speaking of such things, we here in the United States, because this is a nation with way more money than sense, have decided to start something called the Space Force. Yeah. Ah! And you say, well, there, we've, we've done, like, we went to the moon and stuff, and the Air Force handled it. Like, you know, we've been in space for a while, but you know. They wanted to. They wanted to rebrand it. When you say Matt that we have more money than sense, does that mean that we have fed all the hungry people and we're just trying to figure out what to do with our extra money, or we've given money to all the people that have become unemployed in the pandemic, and so we're trying to figure out what to do with all that extra money? I assume so. Again, I don't keep huh. up with the news. We are going to war with space. That's right. That's right. What does space ever do for us? Look out, space. We're coming for you. Having been roundly defeated in the war on poverty and the war on drugs, we are now trying the war on space and going to see what happens. These people were down for the war on terror, you know, an existential concept. And there's way less terror now than there was in 2001. That's right. We're coming for you, space. That's right. Led by the Space Force and the, the announcement... That fired our imaginations this week was they, they announced, so in the Army, the, the people are soldiers, Marines are Marines, Air Force airmen, uh, sailors, seamen, and so forth and so on. In the Navy, we, so what is, people were wondering, what are you going to call these, these Space Force people? And after what I'm sure is a, <laughs> a consultancy contract worth tens of millions of dollars, right? somebody realized they didn't come up with anything and had a Marvel movie on and thought, Guardians? Yeah. We like Guardians. Guardians, right? Cool. <laughs> okay, we'll do that. And then Mike Pence, a man who looks like he is carved out of mayonnaise, had to go before a press conference <laughs> and announce <laughs> the, pr- the pride with which we will be the Space Force Guardians. Guardian. Hey, look, man. You'll all be sorry. 
When aliens come from outer space with their superior technology from the next galaxy over, and these guardians get out there and shoot them with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> then you'll all be sorry. I mean, somebody will. Definitely, definitely the people who've been given a very old <laughs> AR-15 with which to deal with the Alpha Centaurians. Well, that's right. <laughs> I, I love what I love what Matt has rolled out here, and I'm and I'm just picturing in my mind so many, so many mornings when I woke up after you know an alarm was supposed to go off for a college class in which I didn't write a paper, and I'm like wiping the sleep out of my eyes, like oh gosh, what time is it? What time is it? And then you just look on the on the shelf and you see the Guardians of the Galaxy DVD, and you run into the meeting with like the disheveled hair and the and the and the shirt that's buttoned up the wrong way and you're like i've got it and you just have to put on the swagger and these these guys just go for it they just eat it up because you know they didn't watch the disney movie right right yeah no mike pence has not seen any movie made after i'm gonna call it 1957 (laughs) they all seem a bit racy (laughs) what i love about this is that You didn't even bother to mention the Coast Guard, who right now are high-fiving each other like nobody's business because now they are no longer the low man on the totem pole. (laughs) Also, if you're called the Coast Guard, wouldn't you be the Guardians? I mean, just etymologically, they should be the Guardians. So you're saying the, the good people of the United States Coast Guard have dodged two bullets this week. That's right. <laughs> also, here's the yeah. thing I'm enjoying. We all know uh, Jed's wife, Hallie, served in the military. We all have friends who served in career, the long careers. And I'm just picturing the the just hard bit 55 year old Marine gunny who has to address someone as a guardian. <laughs> and the amount of disdain that will be in that person's voice. Yeah. But that brings up yeah. a number of, of avenues for us to explore. One is, as people have been listening for the last month or so knows, we've set our sights on becoming the official podcast of space. Yeah. Right. So, you know, if, if space is filled with guardians, we maybe there's an opportunity in that for us. But even more broadly, is also a thing the, the four of us have in common is for the most part, we kind of get to make up our own job titles because our jobs are so strange that they have not actually been defined by the wider world. And we have friends who do that well with ministries, nonprofits, churches, that kind of thing. We're all, we're kind of, uh, you know, sailing uncharted waters as we go and trying to figure that out. So is it possible that there's a a real market out there for over the top titles that we haven't tapped into? Oh, that's very good. Mm. Like you look at your average church, you might have like a teaching pastor and a worship pastor and you know, a pastor of uh, community and whatever, but it feels like we're just we're just missing a trick there to really go over the top with the business card. Yeah, I yeah. like that. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I would have. I, I don't even know how you look past space cadet to get to guardian at all. That yeah, you make a good point there. You make a good point. I assume once they launch the space force academy, who is really going to come in? in a distant fourth place when it comes to the uh, commander in chief's cup <laughs> wow. in football, that's going to be rough. Yeah. 
<laughs> but Matt, it sounds like you're wondering, given that we can make up our own completely ridiculous titles, um, what do we want to do as we expand our operations into space? Am I am I hearing absolutely that? Right? that? What do we maybe want to throw out? You know, I, I feel like we can uh, give some suggestions to our friends, maybe even in more traditional church roles. You know, really get out there and spice it up. Well, I think, you know, since we're ripping off comic books totally. in a way that has to violate copyright law and is deeply unapologetic. If this whole thing leads to Disney suing the United States military, that will be somewhat worth it. Right, right. I totally agree. If you are, you know, maybe like the director of media arts, you know, but basically you're the guy that makes sure the sound equipment works. New title, Baron Von Boom. <laughs> wow. Well, I like that. Mm. Yeah. Well, those of us who are familiar with the with the megachurch phenomenon, they they do hand out them some titles. Like everybody's <laughs> got a an impressive sounding title. They truly do. I think that's a great point. Impressive, but but kind of lame. You know, everyone's the yeah the junior director of middle school worship arts, but right that doesn't really have the punch <laughs> of guardian. I wonder if if. If you are the worship leader of like one of the space mega churches, if you could just be called Admiral Praise. Oh. Yeah. I like that. Admiral Praise. I like that a that's lot. Right. That's yeah. that's got a good Scientology feel to it. Yeah, that really kind of does. And those guys make money. Some I'm not even sure exactly where this would go, but I like the idea of, you know, you go to a church and someone shakes your hand and they, they you know, say, you know, welcome to, you know, you know, faith, community, outreach, uh, promise, hope, shed, aquarium. I'm the thing. <laughs> just, sure. Just, I'm the, the thing. thing. I'm the thing. Sure. Before his sermon, he yells, it's teaching time. <laughs> That's right. I should have gone with it's exposition time or something like that, but I'm quite tired. But you, you know, fill no, in as it's hilarious. teaching time had a visceral quality that was yeah, just right. right. Yeah, yeah. clobbering teaching, you know, teaching with no G at the end. Yeah, that's well, right. The other beautiful thing this opens up is, as we all know, um, even in a situation where in, in this, this world where you're kind of talking to someone where you might work with them professionally. Unless you hand them your business card, titles don't really come up. There's, oh, it's the, right. he's, you know, Jed from the bridge or Lee from Robert Triple C, whatever. So you could slide some in there. I mean, is there anything stopping your official title on the business card from being friendly neighborhood web slinger? Totally right. not. Why yeah. not? It's a really good point. I, I think I've got another one. All right. You know, some churches, you know, have people on staff specifically to do kind of, you know, counseling and really get into it with people. And so if that's what you do, official title, Dark Knight of the Soul. Mm. Wow. Like with a K. That's yeah, great. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I like that a lot. <laughs> well, of course, there is the trick of, you you know, um, nursery volunteer or children's ministry coordinator is a little, a little dry. And you could slide Guardian right in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Which also yes. makes me picture a painted purple Dave Batista running a, a church <laughs> nursery, which makes me very happy. Yes. Well, wouldn't you be a poop guardian in that case? Well, yes, that's one of your roles. You're you're guarding poop from uh, breaking the perimeter. Well, Glenn, given the realities of space travel, that's going to be some of the actual guardian's jobs, too. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought it back to that because... And I think we've been clear on this uh, on this podcast that we call dibs on space ministry. Totally, no doubt. Like we're gonna we're gonna be the first podcast 
in space. And uh, also, I don't, we don't want people running around messing up our deal because, uh, first of all, we might be planning on some early capitulation. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we, we may go out of Chicago. That's what I'm about to say. Chicago style, you know, we're going to get in there. We're going to wheel some deals. We're going to see, you know, one hand washes the other, et cetera, and so on. You know, next thing you know, we got uh, laser pistols. You know, they got our, you know, potato chip technology, whatever it is. You know, we're, we're making deals. So uh, we don't, we don't uh, need a lot of interference on this deal. I do like the idea, and somebody please write the science fiction movie, where the aliens come to Earth and the only thing that stops mankind's utter destruction is they're just fascinated by how you blasted that much flavor into these Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> they realize, I would watch that movie. Maybe these people have something to teach us after all. <laughs> hey, look, we can fold space and we can hear colors, but we just don't know about this flavor blasting situation. That's we just got we gotta know. So you put nacho cheese into this chip. Well, that's <laughs> that is something worth figuring out. Yeah, it's like they 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 think we've invented some intergalactic new performance art. Uh, kind of uh, with food and they're just fascinated by the bizarre nature of it. I, yeah. I, I think I could, I think I could write that screenplay. They, they consider uh, the mayor of flavor town to be the God King of earth. That's right. <laughs> I'm saying in the, in the 50s science fiction movie where it's, they land on earth and, you know, take us to the one who's in charge. We could do worse than Guy Fieri. <laughs> if the goal is building <laughs> diplomatic ties, you look at the heads of state and you think maybe the mayor of Flavortown's our best chance here. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, Fantastic. not a bad job title for a senior pastor somewhere. <laughs> MDiv, PhD, mayor of Flavortown. Hey, a bishop of Flavortown. Bishop, Bishop of Flavortown. Oh, wow. I, I think I can even make that biblical. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. That's oh, right. If the salt loses its flavor, what is it good for? He is the Bishop of Flavortown <laughs> where the salt lives. You That's are it. welcome, Internet. Yes. Wow. Not to be confused with the English version, Vicar of Flavortown, which is <laughs> a very idyllic drama that plays on PBS on, like, Saturdays at 2. <laughs> oh, I... I I best I best better be, be leaving then I suppose. Yes, yes, I, I suppose you better had. <laughs> well, I think that took some unexpected twists and turns <laughs> in our trademark fashion and uh, on that that really really delicious journey we will declare emergency off. Emergency off. That's right. If you want to aid our eventual domination of space, Probably no one else is doing it. We're just, we're trying to get on the ground floor here. We're exploring, we're moving, we're exploring strange new worlds. As Luke Skywalker said, I couldn't resist one more. <laughs> I don't know why that gives me so much joy. Uh, you can sort check us out at Bridgebox, missionosa.com slash Bridgebox. A lot of great stuff in your inbox. The first of every single month. We are still in the month of December. We're looking at how to be a part of peace on earth. We've got sermons, songs, Bible studies, and more. Missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. We also hope you will join us every Tuesday at 7.30 Central Time 
at facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago for the bridge live. We are still figuring out ways to do this, even with more restrictions, but we're having a lot of fun over there at the service, having a lot of fun interacting with folks in the chat on Facebook. We hope you will join us there every Tuesday at seven 30. If you can't catch it live, every single episode is archived at the videos tab at facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you hang us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with us, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links there. Our first question comes in and says, hello, gentlemen. Eh, you know, yeah. For a long time. And even in some instances now I have trouble laying down my burdens for God's peace. I've been wondering if I've been wondering what, if I am not fully able to immerse myself in trusting God because of the unreliability and abandonment of my earthly father. I know I shouldn't compare an earthly father figure to God himself, but I guess I'm trying to relate my experience of one father to another father. Is that wrong or correct? Can you help me understand how best to trust God? And a a lot, a lot of, of cool stuff going on there. We really appreciate the question. And Glenn, maybe the the maybe we start out with the specifics and we can kind of expand out and let's focus on this idea of which we all do taking that relationship you had with your father or not, as the case may be, and how that rely, relates to the way we look at God. Well, I, we thank you for the question, and and I I love this uh, phrase being able to fully immerse yourself in trusting God. I'll let you know when I get there, and I'll tell you all about it. Uh, I, I'm not <laughs> quite to that level where I'm fully immersed. I, I have a very solid pinky toe invested in trusting God, uh, when things are going fairly smoothly, but otherwise it's, a you know, uh, it, it's a struggle, but I think that's really the point we want to focus on in, in a very macro sense. I think we have a sense of if I am struggling to do the things God's calling me to do, if I'm struggling to live a godly life, that must mean I'm not a particularly holy person, not a good Christian, and so forth. Uh, I would suggest the opposite is true. If you are struggling with something, you are that is what growth looks like. The growth is when you don't have a strength in an area and you you struggle with it, you grapple with it, you wrestle with it, and then you resolve that, you overcome that situation, and now you have learned something, you've grown, you're stronger, and of course you're in a more trusting state of mind. Um, if you were saying, I don't have any tr- uh, you know, troubles uh, trusting God, I would suggest that you have a lot of unexamined stuff that's going to come up and take you fully out, uh, and and that may not be a long ways off. So uh, let's let's really change if i could if 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 i could do nothing else with this answer i want to change your perspective that if you are struggling with it that equals good uh it doesn't mean that it's uh, easy or or fun and 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 that you don't have real emotional distress here it just means you're actually on the right you know on the right page with stuff second thing i want to look at is the bible makes a, a, a a very clear distinction between the two things you're talking about, because you're talking about an earthly uh, father and uh, God as a father figure. Uh, in the Bible, those are two different wor- words that are used. Uh, we we don't have quite that kind of a distinction here in, in English. But in Greek, 
Uh, genos, uh, as in like a genetic, um, is the word for offspring, that your your literal biological offspring. You, you would say, this is my biological father, that's genos. But there's a, a different word, technon, that we'd probably translate in, in English as child, but it means child in the literal sense and or the figurative sense that uh, uh, um, Paul calls Timothy his child. Uh, so it's, it's setting up, um, technon refers to an intimate relationship that's intentional, and it's also a relationship where there, uh, the, the, the child is depending on that parental figure. Uh, so if, so technon apply, implies that you're depending on that, that uh, parental figure, that father figure in this case, but it also off of that implies that the father figure is dependable. If you get what I'm saying, if, if you are dependent on them and they're, that means they are dependable. So it's really kind of bringing out this idea that, um, we tend to kind of conflate these two things together, the biological father and our heavenly father, just because their father language is kind of putting it together. But these are two very different ideas and very different concepts with not a ton of overlap. There there are some fathers out there that are also, um, you know, that are biological and also are fulfilling uh, the the family um, uh responsibility and, uh, you know, hitting home runs with uh, nurturing and care. Uh, And there are people doing lots of nurturing and care that don't happen to be your biological parents. So um, to a certain extent, family is as family does on some of that. And uh, we need to be able to draw those lines and see them as, as not having to do with one another. These are separate concepts. Uh, and I think if you see it that way, that gives you a chance to resolve your parental issues on one hand and the spiritual on on a, on another hand, seeing those in different spheres. Last thing I'll say real super quick, I see a lot of people who have problems with a parent and then they're going out and trying to get other people to fill that role. And that that is not a recipe for a lot of happiness. They're, they're you know, they're really cool aunts and uncles out there that want to be really good aunts and uncles, but they kind of can't be apparent to you in in the full true sense. Uh, So appreciating people for what they can do, what they want to do, uh, mentors, pastors, uh, you know, even just an elder sibling, any of these kinds of people um, appreciating for what they are without having expectation that's way, way uh, beyond what they have signed up for. That's a fantastic place to start that out. I really love everything Glenn gave us there. I totally agree with everything he said. And Lee, I'd love to get you to to pick us up there. And I think a a thing we can broaden out from this particular situation on that we all deal with is where Glenn started us off on that, which is when we have a struggle or something that doesn't necessarily come naturally to us, we can look to build a narrative out of that (laughs) about everything about ourselves. We can look to diagnose it and look to analyze it. And sometimes that can help us out, but sometimes not, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I loved where, exactly as Matt's saying, I love where Glenn started us out on this by just normalizing the situation of I'm not there yet and I can't do this on my own. That's a really, really helpful thing. And I think one thing that 
I, I definitely want you to hear us saying to you is, I'm sorry that your dad abandoned you. Um, you, you, you know, I think the difficulty and pain that you have to walk through as a result of the things that happen to you, um, that's a deep thing. And that's going to take a long time. That's not going to be easy. That's not going to be flipping a light switch or anything like that. And by the way, and this is something that can get twisted when you hear, especially when you hear like certain kinds of preaching or you read certain kinds of books. But let me say this very clearly. God is not looking down on you for the fact that you're struggling to throw all of your trust onto him. Um, God is patient. He understands what you've been through. He, um, like, our Lord Jesus was raised in a single-parent home. Um, his earthly father passed away when he was a, a, a young dude. Um, he may not have some of the same kind of abandonment issues, but he definitely had a whole lot of really cruddy relational situations, and he had a whole lot of really tricky, really funky uh, uh, relationships with relatives. One of the things that 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 is so cool about our Lord is he's been through a lot of the pain and heartbreaks that we have, and he's extremely understanding about that stuff. What you're talking about doing is is basically developing a skill that, as far as I know, takes a lifetime of reps and 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 uh, kind of slow progress to understand what it means like to really put your trust in God and really and really give him your whole heart and it all of that is made a lot more difficult when somebody like somebody that you really were pinning your hopes on like an earthly father um abandons you I, I think it's definitely worth looking into and and I think some of this could help if you if you do have a situation where you could get some therapy or counseling or have somebody to talk to that that is a professional counselor, that they could help you look at whether or not you've dealt with the fact that your father's abandonment is something that's on him and not a result of anything that you did, um, that you're not to blame in this situation. And I think some of that can be related to the way that we approach God. And the more that you understand the thing that there are things that have happened to me in my life that I was not responsible for. And so the fact that I'm having troubles relating to God because I'm thinking about the fact that my dad abandoned me and I'm wondering, you know, what part did I play in that? Well, that was on your dad. That was not on you. Yeah. And we're sorry that it happened. But the more we can get down to and drill down into some of these, some of these emotional details and get a clearer perspective of what you actually, what the fact that you were not responsible for what your dad did and that that was something that was on him and that that is something that is not the same as Glenn saying between your earthly dad and your heavenly father, then that can change the perspective on what it means to approach God. But I think it's a really important thing to understand that you have been through a painful, traumatic thing, that you're going to have certain triggers because of that, and that you've got some work ahead of you that Unfortunately, this was this was not something that you created, but it's something that you're having to live through. And the thing that I want you to hear us saying to you about God's heart is he understands every piece of that. He is excessively patient, and he wants you to know that you are not a disappointment in any way. You are not on some time schedule that you're behind on time in any way. 
yeah. that he wants to work with you on that. He wants to walk with you step by step as you understand. I, I, I love the way that, that Glenn set, uh, you know, gave us a, a way to even, even uh, linguistically separate our relationship with our earthly father from our heavenly father so that you can understand I'm on a different footing here. I'm I'm now in a relationship with the kind of dad who literally is eternal. He has all the time in the world. Um, there is a verse in the book of Jeremiah. The chapter slips my mind. Maybe one of these other brothers can help. But that says uh, where the Lord says, "I have loved you with an everlasting love." And one of the things that I think is so cool about that scripture is that that means that that God, as my heavenly Father loved me before my earthly father wounded me. This is an everlasting love. It happened first. This is an older tie. It's an older connection. It's, yeah. it's going to outlast anybody who hurts me in the future. Um, it came first. It's going to win in the end. And that patience, the, 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 the thing I want you to feel about God's heart is that God's heart would be saying to you, my friend, my child, I got all the time in the world. I am not in a hurry. We can take our time with this. We can dig down and find the, the specific hurts and triggers and pains, and I want to work with you in those things, and that what happened to you is not on you. Last little piece that I would throw in here is that whenever Jesus talked about God as a father, um, especially with us, the Lord's followers, like specifically in Matthew chapter 7, he did not relate that as like, God is a father in the way your father was a father to you. He relates that as God is a father in the way you would be a father to your children. That's the way Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 7. He says, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, then will not God give you good gifts because he loves you? In other words, when you think about God as a father, it's Jesus's perspective is, don't think about the way your dad was to you. Think about the kind of parent you want to be to your children, if you were to have children. That's the way we want to think about this. And you know what kind of parent you would want to be, the kind of parent who's there for your child, the kind of parent who is patient and loving and works with them and takes all the time in the world. And God is, and, and Jesus is saying, that's the kind of father that God is to you, the kind of father, the kind of parent that you would want to be to your child. He's patient. He's different than our relatives. He, he has the kind of love that we would want to have ideally with, with our children, if we have children or if we don't. And knowing that, my hope is that maybe through some counseling, maybe through some therapy, maybe through a lot of reps and a long time, you would understand the patient heart of God is, we're going to work through this together. I've loved you with an everlasting love. That is all really beautifully put stuff and, and spot on. Uh, based on some quick Googling, I believe the verse... Lee is pointing you towards there is Jeremiah 31 3. And it is oh, thanks, man. beautifully, beautifully expresses that. And Jed, let me get you to close this out here and maybe expand on something from the beginning of Lee's answer there, where he was talking about the skill of trust. And yeah. I think the you know, this person kind of sums up the thing they're not they feel like they can't do as laying my burdens down. And maybe if we kind of go Occam's razor and apply a little bit of what Glenn and Lee are, are giving us here. Maybe certainly the way in which you can't lay your burdens down may have some permutations on your past, but could a core part of this be that's a tricky thing to do in general? Maybe we start there. 
I think you're absolutely right. And I think that is what one of the things we really want to look at. You know, we we love you. We're praying for you. We're really glad that you wrote in. There are some layers to the questions that you're asking. And I think one of the layers that we want to look at is in a purely human sense, kind of just setting aside spiritual stuff just for a minute. How are you at dealing with worries? I think that's a question you should think about. And to be clear, the answer to that question should not be good or bad, because that's not a binary thing. But how are you at dealing with worries? Think about that a little bit. And the reason that's important is we want to note that there are folks who deal with anxiety disorder. That is a medical condition. It requires a medical condition. And if that's something that you're facing and you're not sure how to get a hold of the resources you need, we'd love to help you with that. But for folks where it's not a, a medical condition, um, dealing with worry in an effective way is actually a skill. It's a skill that can mm. be learned. It's a skill that can be developed, a skill that can be improved. Uh, sure, maybe some of us are a little bit better at it naturally than others, but that doesn't matter. We all have worries that come to us that we need to know how to deal with. And again, it's a skill. I'm right there with Lee. I think a counselor would be great for a lot of reasons. And one of it is a counselor is a great place to learn some skills for dealing with our thought life. Um, one of the things, just as a quick example, that a counselor would probably want to talk with you about in terms of managing worry is for a lot of people, worry begins, what if everything goes wrong? What if I lose the account? What if I fail the test? What if I get shot down? What if everything goes wrong? And one of the skills that, that at least some counselors would, would want to help you to develop is to counter that with the thought of what if things work out? Mm. What if it actually goes well? What if this actually exceeds expectations? Am I prepared for that? Can I explore that mental space for a while? It's actually a powerful tool, whether it's the right one for you or not. That's a skill that people use to handle worry in their lives. Now, let's start to bring the spiritual back into it. When we pair a practical skill with spiritual strength, that's when we've got a really amazing combination. Amen. That's when we have something really, really powerful. If you had never learned to swim, and you were kind of afraid of the water, but you decided I'm going to push through and learn to swim anyway. The spiritual should be part of that solution, but it shouldn't be the only part. We should take swimming lessons from someone who can teach us how to float in the water. We should ask God to give us courage to keep getting in the water, to work on this and develop this skill. But we would also need to develop the practical skill of having a freestyle stroke. This is how this works. And so for you, some of this undoubtedly has a spiritual element to it, but I think some of it is also just learning a practical skill and then asking the Lord to give you that courage, to give you that strength, to give you that tenacity, to keep going so that that, that skill can get better and can get faster and can get more immediate. And again, I think as you marry those two things together, practical skill and spiritual strength, I think you're going to really like the results that you see. Absolutely right. That's all fantastic. Fantastic stuff. Don't trust anyone who wants to teach you to swim by the Spirit. That's not. <laughs> and we're all, every host on this show is from a part of the world where I'm sure someone has tried to pull Yes. In. We're going to move on to our second question here. It comes in to us and says, I usually like Christmas, but this year I just can't seem to access any positive emotions around it. Any tips for getting in the Spirit, even though it's 2020? And a uh, a very high hurdle to clear on the twenty twenty ness <laughs> of it all, indeed. But Lee, where do we start off? Well, you know, I, everybody everybody experiences and and you know 
Christmas in different ways and has different kind of emotional things about it, whether that's baggage or whether that's, you know, traditions or excitement and stuff like that. And, and, and exactly as you're saying, I mean, 2020 is just different. If you're, if the way that you get into the spirit of Christmas is, is having a huge Christmas party with all your favorite people, well, that's really not going to happen this year. It certainly shouldn't happen. Um, but it, but it's probably not going to happen. And so we got to find something else. What I would say, um, you know, you know, kind of movies and hot cocoa aside, um, the thing to me that would that I think that would get your spirit aligned with the heart of this season more than anything else is to seek out someone who is hurting and try to figure out how you can meet their needs in some significant way, some way that actually moves the needle on what they need. Um, now, that's going to be difficult being that we shouldn't and in many cases cannot be around each other physically. There's some hurdles to cross there. There's some kind of hoops to jump through. But may I suggest starting extremely simple? Um, I would ask this question. Who in my life or in my circles do I know is lonely at this time of year? Yep. Who lives by themselves? Just start with that simple question. If you make a list of five people, then what I would say is I would dedicate some time in the next couple of days to uh, do a one or all of these few things. I'm going to write them a physical letter or card. I'm going to give them a phone call or I'm going to set up a virtual watch party of our favorite movie. A lot of these streaming uh, video services have a feature, which I don't understand technology very well, but they have a feature where you can set up like a virtual watch party. Um, and like one of the funnest things that I've done in the past few weeks is that uh, my kids and I got invited to a virtual watch party for the fina- the season finale of The Mandalorian with some of their cousins. And mm. the the fun we had while we were all watching it together and texting the group thread at the same time about all the reveals and all the the fun stuff. I mean, it it was like it took the fun of that watching experience and it literally multiplied it. It was like we all went to the movies together. Hard to explain, but man, was that fun. And so I would suggest something like that. Um, maybe if you have a frontline healthcare worker in your church community or in your friend group, I would consider... Uh, making the most um, like unhealthy tray of brownies that you can possibly make and dropping those off at that person's apartment or home. They are going through it right now. Um, I got a phone call, um, and, and I'm telling you, the phone call can work too. I got a phone call from a buddy um, who is, uh, who's doing his residency in family med and um and just said hey man i just need to talk we are going through it right now and all i did was say tell me about that okay tell me more about that tell me more about that i said very few words on this phone call yeah. and at the end of uh, i think a 45 minute phone call he said what he said to me was i know you didn't change anything but i feel a little lighter well, okay, baby, I'm feeling the spirit of Christmas. I don't know about y'all, but that was like the Christmas Christmassy thing I've done in a long time. If we can, a lot of people are hurting, a lot of people are lonely, a lot of people are going through it. 
What is the simple thing that I can do where I am right now with what I have that could meet in some small measure someone's need? I'm going to start with the lonely. I'm going to start with the distressed. I'm going to start with those who are under a lot of pressure. And I'm going to figure out some simple thing that I can contribute to their day. And I bet that that would be about the most Christmassy feeling thing that you could do right now. It's a great point, especially about the Mandalorian finale. I can't believe Captain Kirk showed up. I don't know why I'm stuck <laughs> on doing it that. It was wild. But that one, you know, moving on, uh, a lot of great stuff from Lee there. And Jed, I'd love for you to pick us up there because I think um, particularly doing something in the way that Lee's talking about is is nice because it's a nice thing to do. But can you dig a little bit more into just what taking the focus off yourself can do in these situations? Well, sure. Absolutely. I think I will put this on you, but I, I will say for me that when my focus is me, man, I get into self-pity real, real fast. Yeah. And particularly when things are actively bad outside. And I know like if you grew up in kind of the, the white suburban church in America, you've been trained to look on the bright side to a pathological degree. It's worth noting things are pretty bleak out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's it's okay to acknowledge that. So, you know, if we are, if, if things are pretty bleak, which they are, and, you know, it would be easy to kind of get a, a self-pity thing going if the focus is on us. One of the things that taking the focus off of ourselves and putting on to other people do is it actually gives our brains a rest. Um, in a sense, I think this actually ties back to the previous question, at least for me. If I can shift gears and focus on meeting someone else's needs, that gives me a rest from worrying about my own situation for a little while, which is actually super helpful just in and of itself. So that's that's a nice little bonus. But I think it also obviously it gives you a sense of purpose. It, it gives you something that you can do. Here's the funny thing, and, and we've talked about this before on this show. If you look at injustice – in most cases, it's almost impossible to do something about the injustice in your own life, um, which makes sense because if you could, you would have already done it. Um, but you can usually do something, even if it's something very small, about the injustice in other people's lives. And there tends to be a similar quality with suffering. The suffering in your life, you may not really be able to get rid of all of it because, again, if you could, you probably would have already done that. But you can do something about the suffering in other people's lives. And there's something really beautiful about finding a task, even if it's small, that you can sink your teeth into and recognize I can actually make a difference here. I can actually do something and see fruit come out of it. And at least for me, man, that's a powerful thing. I think in tough times, it is easy. It is easy to feel powerless. That's not exactly the right word. It is easy to feel like everything is just fixed, like everything is just pointed towards destruction, and that's all it's going to be. And to have something like, no, I can do X and Y will result. I can put in effort and work, and then a good thing will come out the other side. Man, that's therapeutic, in addition to the fact that it will actually help someone else. It will actually improve their situation. I'd add one more thing, which is, to combine two of the things Lee said, I think you can create a community as you do something for somebody else. I think you can form a team. And again, this doesn't have to be like, you know, we're, we're solving, you know, uh, world hunger, but you can decide, you know what? I can make really good brownies for my friends who are medical frontliners. You know, I'm going to get together a bunch of friends, not 
physically, but we're going to organize together and we're all going to make cookies for all of our, the frontline medical friends we can think of. But we're going to text back and forth and maybe have a watch party, like Lou was saying, as we're working on all this. And we're going to create a sense of community and a team as we do that. Well, dude. Now we're firing on a whole bunch of cylinders all at once. We've got a sense of purpose. We're taking the focus off of ourselves. We've got a sense of community. We're encouraging each other. We're doing something to benefit other people. Dude, I think if you wear a Santa hat while you're doing that and you drink some hot cocoa, I think you have fully Christmas. <laughs> I think I think you've done it all the way. And we know you've got it in you to do that. We believe in you and we're proud of you. That is absolutely right. And Glenn, where would we close this out? Well, I think, um, as you guys know, I love Christmas. <laughs> You're notorious uh, for that. <laughs> I mean, that may have been the biggest lie I've ever told in public. Uh, you know, I so I'm you know I'm I'm working my way over to you know a, a disappointment um, about Christmas and stuff, uh, but. You know, the thing about Christmas is that there's a lot about it that's that's nostalgia, that that's sort of the, the thing about Christmas that people love. Uh, those of us who aren't so fond of it, you know, that don't have a lot of happy memories looking back, so that's maybe part of the reason for that. Uh, but uh, I think it's awesome that you have cool memories of cool Christmases in the past, and you really love that, and it's a, a magical time of year. But nostalgia is kind of a solo trip. Uh, you know, the, you may imagine that during Christmas, everyone is in on your enjoyment of Christmas, but we're not. Some of us super <laughs> hate it. So <laughs> the fact that you must enjoy it by yourself, it, it, you know, is maybe revealing to us that you do generally enjoy it mostly by yourself. And that that's great. I, I think, you know, there are things that I have nostalgic feelings about that I enjoy, but it's, again, that's sort of a solo trip. You know, these are, when I go to an Astros baseball game, I remember going to games with my dad when I was a kid, I would, you know, I, it doesn't matter whether anybody else wants to go with me or likes it when they do, because it's, it's a thing that I'm doing on my own. Uh, so therefore, you know, that nostalgia, that's a state of mind. Uh, it, it's not, a, you know, necessarily a shared experience. And I think for you getting into that state of mind is a great idea. That idea of just having something to look forward to, having something that you can do, um, uh, you know, cool decorations, changing your physical environment. All of these things are great. And I don't think you need to feel as though, well, I, I need everybody to be in on it with me. You know, my wife was talking about, should I put up the Christmas decorations because no one will see them? Because, you know, we're on sort of a special lockdown, so people can't come over and see it. But it's, you know, that was my point is it's it's for you to enjoy. And I think that's a good reason. A final thing on this is... These brothers have all talking about the joy of giving. And, you know, I think it's worth meditating on that because the thing about giving is it's more enjoyable than you actually think it is. Uh, I, I think it's the most underrated joyful experience that you have 
I think we live in a culture where getting the gift and all that is the coolest part. But I say this, and I and I'm saying this as uh, I, I am not the most altruistic person in the world, and and almost certainly not the most altruistic person on this podcast. But I take as much joy in giving gifts as I do in buying them for myself. Uh, when I'm in the That's store, true. And this guy's giddy when he gives something away. Yeah, I mean, when you when you when you see something in a store and you know it will just blow somebody's mind and it's just like the perfect thing and you buy that and you wrap it up and you give it to them, you are experiencing as much joy and if not more than you would if you were getting it for yourself. A lot of stuff I buy for myself and I say, I don't really need this and, you know, probably it's a little silly. I don't know, but, you know, I, every now and then you got to spoil yourself, so I guess I'll just buy this. You know, it's not it's not nearly that zing of like, you know, the more extravagant, the more I spend on it, the more time it takes me to make it or whatever those things are, uh, it's the more joy there is in it when I'm giving it away to other people. I, I think it's worth taking some time to to recognize there's actually a lot more joy there than we recognize, and that getting into that is a whole lot of what Christmas really is all about. That's a great place to end that off. I agree with everything these guys said. A lot, a lot of good stuff in there. We're going to move on to our final question for this week. It comes in and says, they say Christmas is a season of giving, which um, tax on the saying there, but I honestly don't feel like I have anything to offer. I want to do more, but what can I do right now? And I think we, we addressed a lot of this materially in, in the previous part. You know, you can, you can say a kind word, you can um, make something or, you know, just offer some things that are free. Uh, but Jed, if we're going to start this off, maybe go into a level before that, because there's what we can physically give, and we kind of covered that. But then there's that feeling, which I think a lot of us are running into here at the end of this particular year of, I just feel wrung out, and I don't yeah. know how to even go about doing this in this weird year. Well, that's uh, very understandable that you feel that way. Uh, we are with you. So let's really pull the camera very far back for a second and discuss the fact that generosity is both a mindset and a skill. Mm. It is something that one can and should grow in, and it will not spring to life on its own. Here's an interesting thing. I know in my life, actually any number of people who are, who are good people, who are godly people, who are loving people, who are not terribly generous people. Yeah. It's weird that that could be true. You'd think, well, if you were good and loving and godly, you would be generous. Nope. And the reason for it is generosity is a skill. Yeah. It is a form of creativity. It, it's no more implied that if you were good and godly and loving that you would be generous than that if you were good and godly and loving, you'd be a great painter. The, they're actually just not connected things. Generosity is a mindset and a skill and a form of creativity. And so yeah. it, it needs to be nurtured. It, it needs to be developed. And I think one of the things that happens to a lot of us, if we have not very intentionally uh, tried to grow and nurture and develop our, our sense of generosity and almost our, our intelligence for giving, is that we only have a few ways that we feel comfortable expressing ourselves when it comes to giving or sharing or being generous. And if something happens where those avenues either are taken away or aren't very easy to do, 
we kind of don't know what to do with ourselves. And you can think about other avenues like this. You know, if you are used to singing one style of music and suddenly someone says, well, you can't sing that style, but you could sing something else. There's a lot of people who would feel horribly uncomfortable just trying to jump into singing a different style of music or, or performing a, a different style of music or whatever. Generosity, because it's a mindset, because it's a form of creativity, we can choose to grow in it. And, you know, one of the things that much, much smarter people than I have said about intelligence of any kind, and there's a lot of different kinds of intelligence in the world, but that intelligence means seeing connections, that that's really what intelligence is. And the thing that I want to urge you to do is to start developing an intelligence about giving. An intelligence about sharing, an intelligence about generosity, which means seeing connections that you didn't see before and seeing connections Mm. that other people don't see. And I would encourage you to add this into your prayer life, is to begin asking God to show you needs that other people might have that you wouldn't have seen before and maybe that they're not even aware of. Right. One of the strangest things in the world— So. I have been working, I've been very blessed to work for a very long time now with people going through incredibly hard circumstances. And one of the strangest things in the world is if you asked people who have every problem imaginable, what do you need? What would help? The vast majority of the time, their answer to that question is not a good idea. Right. I want you to think about that for a second, that you could be going through incredibly hard circumstances and everything is against you. And you literally, it's before you all day, every day to think about what do you most need in the world, but you actually don't have a very good idea of that. Mm. Well, if the people who in a sense are most motivated to have a good idea about what they need really don't. And in my experience, the vast majority of the time, they really don't. Then people who have something and are thus less motivated to think all day, every day about, you know, what would help, they definitely don't know what they need. (laughs) and so. What we find is that most people don't have a good idea of what they need and what would help. And so if you want to get good at generosity, that means learning to see connections that other people don't see for themselves. That, that means learning to see things that people wouldn't ask for, that they wouldn't know to want, that they wouldn't think to receive, and then finding a way to hook those up. I guarantee you right now today where you are in your life, you have nearly infinite avenues for generosity. I promise you that's true, but the issue is seeing them, and the issue is knowing, developing the intelligence to know how to apply them to the people that you know in your life. I guarantee you you can do this. I promise you can grow in this, but I want to encourage you to really begin making that a part of your prayer life, to ask the Lord to show you those connections, the things that you're not seeing, the ways you could be generous to others that they're not seeing either, and then figuring out practically how do I begin to actually take those steps. A really, really good point there. And Glenn, where would we take it from there? Well, I love everything that Jed was saying there, especially that thing about uh, being creative uh, and thinking uh, outside the box. You know, we talk a lot in our ministry about making the most of every opportunity. And I I think some of that is being on the lookout for that, you know. Yes. uh, You know, we'll, if somebody says, I really like this movie or I like this kind of food or something, we're always filing that away in a mental Rolodex because at some point they'll need a special something and you know what that is. Uh, so yeah, I think that having a mindset about it and a, and a determination to learn how to do it well, be on the hunt is key. 
so if I could take that then and add to that sort of what direction to put that in, I want to start with this. Here's the thing that most people are starving of right now. The, the thing that most people are struggling because they don't have this. It's appreciation. Mm. Yep. Wow. I mean, like any they get is going to be something. If you sit down and say, I'm going to write a letter and and write letters to everyone I know, I'm not going to spend a dime on anything but stamps. I'm just going to write a, you know, three-page letter to everybody I know saying what I appreciate about appreciate about them. That will be their favorite gift this year uh, and would really change their life. Um, thanking people, showing love, showing appreciation, uh, you know, really showing people how you value them, uh, reflecting back to people what their value is. That's enormous. And people are starving for a lack mm. of that. They don't care about the sweater when the thing in the wrapping right. paper, whatever. They trade just a moment of being deeply appreciated for a sweater they don't want. You're putting the gift receipt in there, and that's the right thing. They don't. They're not going to want it. They're going to turn it in for something else. So get, you know, recognize a card or a letter that you can write. Uh, will have more more value to them. Uh, final thing is um, access your tap into your hobbies, whatever your hobbies are. If you have any skills on anything, you can go to like any hobby center and um, buy you know blank cards and stickers and stamps and glitter and all kinds of doodads and whatever, and you know put some real time and effort into that. And that's the kind of thing somebody's going to take and they're going to stick it in the drawer because they can't bear to throw it away because it was just too much care went into it. And they dig it out every now and then and they they reread it and they're like, man, this is this is just, this makes me feel good all over again. Those kinds of things, um, you're talking about tapping into a real power. Mm to change and transform how people see themselves. That's what you are wielding here. Get a hold of that and, and point it where it needs to go and forget about, um, you know, wrapping paper and all the rest of that. Uh, wield a, a much bigger gift. That is awesome, awesome stuff. And Lee, where would we close this out? These brothers have given just some awesome angles on this and philosophy on this and then practical side of this. The one place that the, the only thing I would really tack on to the end of this, I've loved every piece of this. And, and, uh, I think I stole Jed's entire answer. I'll be preaching that pretty soon <laughs> at Christ community. But, um, I, I will say that just as a, just as a way to kind of shift the angle at which you look at this, I would say, um, look Look at yourself during the pandemic. Think back over how hard this year has been on all of us and ask yourself this question. When did somebody make my day? Mm, yeah. And what did they do? Like, when, when I look back over this very trying, very confusing, very disorienting, very difficult, very sad year, can, are there any 
Are there any kind of days during this past year that have been kind of like a pearl that that kind of shine out over the rest of it that I I look back and say, man, I had a moment that I I just really enjoyed. And then ask yourself, was anybody else responsible for that? Did somebody do something or reach out to me or or say a word or and it was probably something Glenn was just talking. It was probably some somebody appreciated you for once in your dang yeah. life, you know, but but look at that and say, at one of my lowest ebbs during the last nine months, what was something that helped? Who helped me? How did they help me? And then turn that around and just give that to somebody. Um, something that someone did for me that brightened my day a bit. Something simple that I, I hoped, uh, something simple that I hoped someone would do for me, that I would have liked for someone to do for me. Um, I think that a lot of times when we're when we're trying to get somebody the right gift, we want to we want to change the world. Um, you guys have heard if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you've probably heard that that Glenn likes to win birthdays. Yeah, he wants to win gift giving, and that's <laughs> that's a mindset everybody has. I want to I want to shut down all gift giving forever by just nailing this one or whatever. I, I would say don't try to change the world. Don't look for a headline cover story. Look for something small and simple to do. And, and as you're trying to figure that out, reflect on your own year, on your own experiences. Who really brightened your day? What did they do? Well, just turn that around. Do that for somebody else. It worked on you. And so, you know, let's, let's, let's try that for somebody else. That's, that's another way to kind of uh, shift the perspective on this to get some hints. That it's all, all excellent stuff from these guys. And one thing I, I would add on at the end of this, and with tie back into our previous question as well about kind of getting in the mood and getting something out of Christmas this year. It's something we talk about on the podcast a lot and it really applies to these things. And it is take the easy win, take what is yes, in sir. front of you. If yeah. it's a Christmas movie or you just like decorations, like Glenn was saying, or listening to Christmas music, whatever in any other year that may have been the background thing, the little thing, the, the add on, if that's got to be the whole meal this year, then that's that's cool. That's where we are. And the same goes to these things these guys are talking about. Maybe, you know, in a year where we're, a lot of people have been isolated, it's hard to get to to people, to the people in your life. People mean a lot to you. Uh, you can you can be nice to the person who has to work the checkout job, even though they're they're scared about it and it's the holidays. You can say a nice word to the person you pass on the street. Anything is better than nothing. And anything, any little thing is going to turn big dividends in a way you may not expect, especially in these times. If you have a question for us at podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask, if you want to keep that totally anonymous, you can, of course, check us out every Tuesday at 730 Central, facebook.com slash thebridgechicago for our bridge live service. Speaking of Christmas music, we're going to take out with one last Christmas song. And you can find a lot of these we've been playing over on Spotify. If you search The Bridge Christmas, we put out a Christmas album last year full of some great stuff from Jed Lee, a bunch of other talented friends, including some friends over at The Bridge Loud. This is a Bridge Loud version of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Really cool track. Check out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast, first in our space ministry. We're going to baptize those wikis before you know it. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.